Welcome to the History Tricks, where any resemblance to a boring old history lesson is purely coincidental. And here's your 30-second summary. Titled nobility in England were running low on funds. Wealthy American women on the fringe of society, unable to make the leap to the next level, took a leap of another kind across the pond to charm and wed. The nobility got cash, the women got titles, and they all lived happily ever after. No, not really. The end. Welcome to the show. Now, before we start with the Gilded Age heiresses, um, I think it's important to tell you to listen to the Mrs. Astor podcast first. That'll give you some background. Really, this is part of a series we're doing here on a Gilded Age, and the Gilded Age heiresses or the Dollar Princesses or the Buccaneers, pick your term, but they all tie into things that we had discussed during the Mrs. Astor podcast. So go, stop, listen. We'll wait. <laughs> so old New York was not kind to these upstart bouncers, no matter how much money they had, and um, some mamas... Rather than be content with second tier and being left out of all the important newspaper articles, mm -hmm. etc., um, reading about Miss Disaster in the paper, they a few brave souls headed across the pond to try the waters in Paris. But, unfortunately, the Prussian army, these are my people, <laughs> sorry about that. They were having a grand old time in Paris, though. We talked about how um, the American upper class had this love affair with mm -hmm. with France and all right. things French, and all the menus were written in French, etc., so Paris seemed like the natural place to go. Right. But the Prussian army had other ideas. They uh, were invading Paris in 1870, and so the ladies vamoosed. They got, yeah. They went. As an American might say, <laughs> during the time of the Wild Wild West, That's right. they Vamoosed over to London. Nothing a, kills a party more than guns. <laughs> yeah, big war. So they cruised to London, which was actually their second choice, but it turned mm -hmm. out for the best, didn't it? Yes, it sure did. Because they were actually welcomed with open arms in yep. London. Yeah, the people of London didn't snub them. No, like not Mrs. at all. Astor. The people of London came to their parties. That's right. They were breath of fresh air. They invited them. What a change from New York, really. Mm -hmm. Night and day. Yeah. Hooray. Finally. <laughs> now, the guy that smoothed their way for them has to be said by his approval and basically his really kind of obsession. Yeah. Them, oh, yeah. I would was, say that. Yeah. Albert Edward, the Prince of Wales, um, Queen Victoria's oldest son. Mm -hmm. He loved his American women. I he mean, did. when I say loved, I mean, yeah. Well, here's the thing. His, a little background on him. His mother, Queen Victoria, you know her reputation. Yeah. <laughs> she was very um, stern and very dour and frankly, did not give him anything official to do. He would have liked to be involved, but as that wasn't available to him, you know what the man with a lot of money and nothing to do turns into a playboy kind of guy. He takes up the party people, kind of get <laughs> attracted to him, and they call, they're called the Marlboro House set. And of course, his mother completely disagrees with everything. This loose morals, these parties, these late nights, all this drinking. She can't have no. it. But he, yeah, that doesn't he, slow him down yeah. at all. And the American women are, they came to party. Well, and the Marble House set liked novelty. So the mm -hmm. Americans are very novel. And also, they also liked other people to pay some of the cost. Because it could get expensive right. to keep the prince entertained. Mm -hmm. You need a mm -hmm. lot of money. He's loved American people. He came to the United States, to New York City in 1861. There's some deference in Britain to the prince. Yeah. There's a formality. Right. He was mobbed like Justin Bieber <laughs> at a right. mall. 
when he came to New York. God, how could you not love that? Yeah, Especially then, if you have a personality like he does. He was mobbed to such yeah. an extent that the dance floor broke. <laughs> you know, yep. 4,000 people came, 1,000 people crashed, the dance floor broke, and the ladies would not stop no. talking to him. So he has really felt a, a fondness yeah. for the ladies. Ever so now that. they're coming onto his turf. And American, With their money. Yes. And American girls are different from British girls. Very different. Because the British girls are, up until their debut, they are kept very cloistered almost is a good word. They're educated and they're kept at home and they don't go out, especially unchaperoned. And they don't dress like the American girls were dressing. They don't have the morals of the American girls. They don't have the free thinking of the American girls. Well, it's not that they don't have the free thinking. It's that they are sheltered from even reading anything questionable. They're taught to be very demure and shy in company. They're Mm -hmm. they're taught to look down, look at the ground and blink the eyes when talking to older men or men of rank or whatever. Well, American girls were brought up to, you're an important person in your own right. Mm -hmm. You go up and shake his hand or whatever. And so for a young woman to come shake your hand, it's like, what? (laughs) looking right in the eye and nice to meet you you know the free manners so it's not that the morals were so Mm -hmm. different because mamas are the same all over in that regard i think but yeah english girls did not have the clothes that the american girls had because you know daddies in america were very indulgent Mm -hmm. with the clothes and the money especially with this particular social yeah yeah and but in britain with primogeniture being as it was and as you recall that means all the dough goes to the oldest boy Mm -hmm. There was not a lot of money left over for putting worth dresses on the backs of the seventh daughter or no. whatever. The whole economic situation in the country is starting to change. It's It was a country was ag- agricultural up till this point, and a lot of the titled nobility had property that they, they leased out to tenants, and that's where they got their money. The economy is changing because the country is becoming more industrialized. There isn't the money to filter down to that seventh daughter, even if they would be so inclined to do so. So let's borrow a term from Edith Wharton and call these first three ladies that went over and married into the nobility, the Buccaneers. We're going to talk about Jenny Jerome, Consuelo Isnaga, and Minnie Stevens. Let's start with Jenny Jerome. Yes, let's start with Jenny Jerome. Um, She's born in in New York. Her father is, is very wealthy. He is... He's very handsome. <laughs> he is a part owner of the New York Times. He is a stock speculator. At one point, they called him the King of Wall Street. He's very into horse racing. And he's actually a sailing buddy of our old friend, William K. Vanderbilt. The thing is, though, that their dad's fondness for opera singers kind of kind of put the kibosh on social advancement for mm-hmm. his wife and daughters. Because, honestly, old boy did not make a secret of it. No, not at all. And there is rumor that, that she was named after Jenny Lynn, the opera singer. And there's no connection. There's no actual real connection to that. But it's a nice little bit. Well, so Clara, the mom, hauled all the girls to Paris. And she wrote a note to her husband saying, you can visit as often as you like and pay the bills. That's right. (laughs) Let's go to Paris. Have a good time. Come on, girls. Opera dancers, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And he did a very fine job of paying the bills. For a while he did. Anyway, he was um, obviously summoned back when when my people came to take over, installed (laughs) them in a fabulous suite in a hotel, and then went back to New York. <laughs> Goodbye. He has a life back there. No, but he came when he was called. They needed him. He came. Yep, then he's out of there. Right. He's got stuff to do with regard to yachting and horse racing and <laughs> fraternizing. <laughs> so at 19, Jenny is, you know, out. Obviously, we're out by 19. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's at a dance for the Prince of Wales. And she was introduced to Lord Randolph Churchill. Now, he's the second son of a duke. 
And you and I know that the second son, nope, there's no real point to marrying a second son. Yeah, no. If you're after a title, because he's not getting one. I mean, he's got Lord. He's got Lord. Yes, his title. He's Lord Randolph Spencer Churchill. So if you like the slick-haired, mustachioed, kind of little skinny dude, I guess you'd find him rock star handsome, but I I don't know. He must have had some kind of charm. He must have had some charm, because they hit it off rather quickly. She had quite a few suitors around her, so... He obviously stood out. In three days after they three met, days. he proposed, and she accepted. Three days. Well, now, here's the thing. She accepted during that time period. That was not... Did you discuss this with your elders? No. You don't just accept a proposal as marriage without a family conference. No. But she did. No. And a lot. And, and back in that time, a lot of the gentlemen wouldn't even talk to the women. First, they'd go to their mothers. Yeah. And ask if this is an avenue that they could pursue. But not our no. dude, Randolph. Yeah, and I will say, I'm all for, you know, I'm all for true love. Because, honestly, my husband and I met and married within an exceedingly short period As of time. As my husband and I. So it is possible that they just fell in love. And that's completely possible. We believe in it. Okay, but her parents are like, no way. No way. He does not have a title. He's not going to go to title. This is ridiculous. He's a fortune hunter. Right. And his, Yeah. And yeah. his parents were like, no way. Who is this person? Her father is this absurd. They Googled him. Okay, no, not really. <laughs> well, they Googled <laughs> at the time of their the time, day. Yeah. They sent an investigator That's over right. to nose around, really. They they did. And um, you know who saved the bacon? The Prince of Wales. Prince of Wales. The Prince of Wales loved Jenny Jerome, and, and he thought they suited pretty well, um, the two of them. Mm-hmm. You know, he knew them both, obviously. Right. And so his family was grumpy because, you know, once royalty gets involved, you can't just go, nah. uh And so they set what they considered to be an impossible condition. That's right. He had to have achieved a seat in Parliament. Yeah. So they're like, all right, then. Yeah. Feel free to marry your Wild West American. (laughs) But But? first, you must get a seat in the House of Commons. Promptly. Yeah. All of the factors coalesced. (laughs) And he got a seat in the House of Commons. It was just like... One after the other, every factor that needed to happen, Parliament was dissolved. He stood Mm -hmm. for, you know, in Woodstock, he stood for um, election and almost immediately he did it. And so we thought we were on the right track. Yes. We're going to get married. Yes. Okay. But then there was another setback. No. Financial (laughs) setback. Mr. Jerome gave $50,000. Which in? Well, and which in modern money, I want to say is like... 660,000, somewhere mm-hmm. around there, which is pretty respectable, but nothing compared to later no. ones. Oh, just wait for those numbers later. Yeah. But he kept some back. He kept some back, and he said, this is just for Jenny mm-hmm. alone. Right. This is not to be touched by my son-in-law. This is for my daughter. Okay. All Hades broke loose, because British women did not, <laughs> once they got married, all their property became their husbands, and there was a great social conflict right there. And so it almost fell apart again. <laughs> but I finally, it was... I guess finally everyone just crumbled under the pressure of the love, the lovers. And they must have had some type of attraction if they're, they've gone and jumped through these hoops. Yeah. So, and it, it took about a year. Yeah. And so they had a very quiet wedding um, compared to what comes later. They married at the British Embassy in Paris. And she became Lady Churchill. She became Lady Churchill. Mm-hmm. And then eight months later, she yeah. became Mama Churchill. That's right. <laughs> to mm-hmm. a full term baby. <laughs> so do the math. That's all we're saying. But that baby became famous later because that baby, half American, did you know? Yes. Winston Churchill. That's right. The stoic leader of Britain during World War II. 
is half American. Half American. Cool. So we're going to do a mini cast entirely on Jenny Jerome Churchill. We think there's so much going on after this to warrant. So if they had such such excitement just to get to the altar. So we'll talk about her a lot more in a mini cast. So let's move on to the second buccaneer, Consuelo is Naga. Consuelo is Naga. Now the the interesting last name is her father is Cuban. Right. And she is Southern. She's from Louisiana. She's the daughter of a sugar plantation owner, um, but very wealthy. She sounds totally fun. I know. She does, doesn't she? Of all the people in this story, I think I'd want to hang out with her. I, I do agree. I, I do agree. And you know who hung out with her? <laughs> Alva. Alva Vanderbilt. They were childhood friends. Yeah. At 10 and 13, they used to kind of want, run crazy mm-hmm. together. And it's funny, in Edith Wharton's The Buccaneers, the characters that are supposed to represent these people, they take up smoking at a young age while sitting on a fence, which is like, young ladies do not sit on a fence, A, and then they do not smoke, B. And so it's funny, because I think that came straight from Consuelo's Naga. Oh, I'm sure it did. And she used to have this funny thing of grabbing a hold of a banjo and just singing minstrel songs. That'd be fun. Dancing around, not caring what people thought too much, and I think she sounds awesome. Now, she reminds me, if you've seen the movie Marie Antoinette, the red-haired friend of Marie Antoinette, the Duchess of Poland. Oh, yes. <laughs> I think you've got a good picture of Consuelo, although she was blonde, but otherwise very similar naughtiness. Mm-hmm. Um, she met Viscount Mandeville at a resort called Saratoga, home of the potato chip, by the way. The things you know and share with us. <laughs> well, home of horse racing horse and the potato chip. Because we all think horse racing, but not Beckett. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm married to a chef. I so. know, that's right. <laughs> so I think that men... I don't know. I keep thinking that men marry their mothers. His mother, who was a German princess, used to dance on tables. So I'm so just he thinking. He probably saw a lot of the qualities that were in mm-hmm. his mom. And, and she had the nerve to object because of the banjo playing, etc. I was like, girl, uh-huh. you need to get a mirror. <laughs> a turn. Yeah. His, so his mother was not American, but I just think I think he saw a lot of. Yeah, the qualities mama. that she possessed. Oh, yeah. I'm going to agree. <laughs> So, unlike Jenny Jerome's husband, Consuelo's is an oldest son, and mm-hmm. he will inherit. Mm-hmm. So now she's the future Duchess of Manchester upon her wedding. That's a great catch, because at the time, at the time, there were only 27 dukes in Britain. This was a big quarry to be catching. Mm-hmm. And what are the chances that when you're of marriageable age, one of these is going to come vacant, these positions? So, so she had a traffic-stopping, huge, elaborate wedding, unlike Jenny Jerome. <laughs> and like Jenny, who snuck off to the British. Yeah, they threw it all out there. Yeah, it was um, yeah, it was a huge deal. So we love her, and her name goes throughout aristocracy Cons- from now on, Consuelo. Consuelo. Which you, yeah, of all the names. I know, and we're going to discuss another Consuelo later, so maybe this Consuelo will be Consuelo one. <laughs> we're so used to Mary, Mary, Mary. Henry, know, Henry, Henry, Henry. John, 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 John. <laughs> and now we've got Consuelo. Consuelo. Interesting. So the third... Uh, the third buccaneer is Minnie Stevens. Now, her mom was just flat out too rough for New York society. She tried, man. Did she <laughs> She get her little battering ram out and assault openly? And everyone was just like, oh, no. You wanted no part no. of that. I want no part of you. She's almost kind of a joke. She had this big red wig and she's like a wife of a hotelier, although they called him a hotel keeper, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and there was, um, there were rumors. Who would they be? Oh, our, you know. Our friends. The 400. The 400, yeah. So, um, 
What's funny about that is the 400 started rumors about her that she'd been a chambermaid in the hotel. Mm-hmm. Well, she was actually a grocer's daughter, perfectly respectable, although certainly not elevated, but she was no. not a chambermaid in her husband's hotel. No. But that's, you know, whatever. <laughs> so Mama had this big goal in mind, revenge. She wanted to show the Astors, oh, oh, ho, is this how it goes? So she goes, she wanted to pull off a coup is what she did. So she went and unfortunately was just as aggressive in Europe. (laughs) So she paraded Minnie around um, and then amped up her monetary. um, Her wealth. Her wealth. She lied about how much she was worth. Yeah. uh, Minnie was very pretty and proposals did start coming almost immediately. But Mama turned them all down as not grand enough. A lot of continental titles. Unlike England in in Paris, you can have a whole bunch of princes of whatever. Right. Like all the sons get that title. It's not as valuable as a country with primogeniture where there's one right. that gets the title. So she she was like, that's kind of unreliable. I can't, you know, we're not going to go there. And so she held out and held out and held out, but finally agreed to the French Duke de Guiche was accepted. And then he sent a man to investigate the finances and he publicly exposed their fraud. That was really embarrassing. And so by this time, her daughter was 25. And by the standards of the time, she's getting up there. Yeah. You know, she's going to have to marry her off. The term is on the shelf. Yeah. She's on the shelf. She's on the shelf. Which seems pretty unfortunate. 25 is so young. But to us. So she fell back on a sure thing who did not have a title. Um, except for a lord. He was only a grandson of someone who had a title. Right. So pff, he's not going to get a title. <laughs> but the Prince of Wales called on Mrs. Stevens to give his approval. He loved Minnie Stevens. All these women were very charming. Yeah. And he loved her. So chew on that, Mrs. Astor. <laughs> the Prince of Wales was willing to come to Mrs. Stevens' house where you did not want to go. So uh-huh. I think that was enough of a smack. Yeah. Although you didn't get the grand title. You get the prince. You got the prince drinking show. out of your teacups. Yeah. <laughs> so that's good. Yes. Very so good. these three ladies were the vanguard of this wave that overtook all of Europe during the next couple decades. That's true. These are the three. So let's take a little break, and when we come back, we will talk about the second wave. We are back. So here we are. The women are going to England to get their titles. Now, what are their titles? We're talking about the peerage. That's what they're going after. And these are titles that are handed down from generation to generation, but only to the first son. This is what they're going after. This is what they're paying for. This is why they're called dollar princesses. Although, quite honestly, there's no princesses, really. Yeah, not until you get to France. No. (laughs) No, but the biggest catch of all would be a duke. They want to get the dukes because then they will be duchesses. At the time, there's only 27 of those. There's mm-hmm. more now because of all of Queen Elizabeth's sons mm-hmm. and Prince William's and now a new one. So there's more now, but at the time there were only 27. 27. That's it. That's all there was. After that, we have the Marquess. And you become a Marchioness. Or Marquess. If Marquess. You're... Marquess. Marquess. After that, you would be an Earl. An Earl is a good catch as well. Yeah, yeah. Countess Graham sounds good. Countess, Countess Graham. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does. Actually, Graham really works well, M- much more so than my last name. 
Then you have your Viscounts. <laughs> I mean, any of these are good to get. This is what they're after. So, of course, they obviously want the better ones, but whatever. Then you have a Baron, and you could become a Baroness. And then you have your Sirs. Those are Baronets and Knights. Now, the Knight is based on your life, so you can get that title. Yeah. A man could. So the is. corresponding, if you are the one receiving the title, you would be a dame. Right. But they, the wives of knights throughout, have used to be called dames, but they kind of wanted to be called ladies, so now they're ladies. So if your husband is, you know, Sir Graham, you are now mm-hmm. lady. Lady. Yeah, a lot, there's a lot of ladies out there. There's a lot of ladies. <laughs> I think it's very interesting, because we all want to get our knight in shining armor, and then knight is like the lowest thing that these ladies were after. But you know what? Here's the thing about knights. The knights, at least, are by merit. Right. So you've got somebody... Has done something really good for the country. So... That's true. And who has to have caught the attention of the king or queen Mm -hmm. to get that in the first place. So perhaps, for quality of life issues, (laughs) if you're the one having all the money... Right. Maybe you do want to serve. Yeah. Anyway, so that's what they were after. Now, Alpha Vanderbilt, back in the United States, is intimately connected with Consuelo Isnaga, who is now the Duchess of Manchester. Right. In fact, that famous ball where she flipped over Mrs. Astor into visiting her, mm-hmm. that was in honor of her friend, who New York society did not give five cents for when she was in the United States. But now that she's a duchess of something... And she has her title, they all wanted to see her, and they sure, yeah. surely did, including Mrs. Astor. So <laughs> newspaper accounts of this ball made you're very fashionable indeed. Mm-hmm. And the idea kind of grew, hey... Take your daughters to London. Take your daughters to London. It's take your daughters to London year. Yeah, exactly. Now, simultaneously, conditions on the husband's side were kind of ripe for this to happen, too. This is another case of things coming together mm-hmm. at the right time. So for centuries, land equaled wealth. Vast estates could support the nobility and their extravagant lifestyles, but there was a slide in income about now. So imported food was coming in cheaper, especially American wheat, ironically enough. So Mm -hmm. the Americans were coming in to dilute the marriage pool and they diluted the food pool too. (laughs) And also industrialization kind of pulled tenants away. So why work your honey off on this farm 24 hours a day and when you could be your own man in a factory for 12 hours a day, Mm -hmm. which sounds equally sucky to me, but seemed like an improvement to those Step up, sure. Yeah. So the income shrank, and they had to reduce the rents because the farmers couldn't afford to pay these mm-hmm. exorbitant you know, duties to their lords anymore. And so incomes were shrinking, and a lot of these peers were stuck with, like, fixed costs. The house just costs X to run. That's End right. And we're not talking little houses. Mm-hmm. We're talking those, the big mansions in the dot the countryside. So, yes, primogeniture gave all the property to the oldest son, yes, mm-hmm. but... You also got all the debts. Yeah, do you want it? <laughs> so you may not want it. And the younger sons and the daughters were really in a bad way. Allowances were really reduced or cut off mm-hmm. in some cases. And at least the younger sons could go pursue some activities or whatever. But the daughters, I mean, these English girls do not have the weaponry in the marriage market that these no. new Americans have coming no. over. So they couldn't work. That's so middle class. So marrying for money, if you were not too obvious about it, Mm -hmm. seemed like the way to go. Now enter the Americans into this ripe field for conquest. And they cash. Two we love, Jeannie Chamberlain of Ohio. (gasps) Gasp, Ohio. Yeah, which at the time is, you know, that's (laughs) frontier-ish. It's, it's not, you certainly know. not your more refined cities. So Gail McCall, in one of my favorite books that I'll talk about later, referred to these as self-made girls. And here's why. They didn't have this establishment. They didn't have these mothers that knew the deal. They didn't have anybody to contact to help them. Mm-hmm. They kind of did this on their own by the force of their own personality. So Jeannie Chamberlain of Ohio arrived on the scene and got her photograph taken 
all over the place. This was the era of the professional beauty, where you would buy prints of fabulously attractive mm-hmm. women. Perfectly respectable. Now this you just download them for free, but yeah. back then they were they were for sale in shops. And her father upped, uh, unwittingly, uh, her father upped her profile by threatening to prosecute any <laughs> store that was showing her picture for sale. Which, of course, made the... The picture hotter, more modernity. And that man put more worth dresses <laughs> on his daughter's back. I don't care how snooty you are. If a person's going to come in, the average buy of a British woman was maybe three, and they'd stretch it all season. Mm-hmm. This girl bought eighty. She wants you to design eighty dresses for her. Are you going to drop everything? Yes, yes you are. You are. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> you know. And, yeah. and her picture is being bought by people. Yeah. Yeah. But advertising. She's paying worth to advertise. Yes. For worth. Yes, definitely. Inevitably, she caught the prince's eye. Uh oh. You say, uh oh. No, no. I've no, no. heard that before, but no yeah. way. This is not how that goes. Her parents were always around. Her parents were always there, and they were completely respectable-ish, mm-hmm. but they had no idea what was going on. They're just kind of trailing around after her, like, this is really nice, dear. They have no idea. They refer to the prince as a really nice man. They have, he was a very they nice have no man. idea. <laughs> she is super-duper flirty, but mm-hmm. utterly and really unattainable. And so what did the prince do? He trotted around after her like a dog all over Europe. To the point where his wife called her Miss Chamberpot. Miss Chamberpot. Yeah. And she called him, brace yourself for this, Prince Tum Tum and Jumbo. The boy was a little bit hefty. Yeah, he had a little. But everyone invited her everywhere. She eventually married one of the prince's really close friends, who was later knighted. So she became a lady without one stain on her reputation, except for perhaps the Chamberpot's comment. Yeah, that's right. Which was unfortunate. <laughs> so she made it all on her own. On her own. Well, on her own with... Daddy's money. Daddy's money. Dressing her. But he was perfectly willing to... He was happy. You know, whatever. And he was there the whole time. She didn't leave him at home like everyone else did. (laughs) So Mary Leiter is another meteoric rise here. Meteoric rise. Her dad was a partner in a little store in Chicago called Marshall Fields. You may have heard of it. They moved to Washington, and she became best friends with the president's young wife. So President Cleveland's fashionable wife was her best friend. Mm -hmm. That's a good best friend. Yeah, yeah. And so she did um, appear in pa- the list of Patriarch's Balls as one of those special guests you can invite from out of town. So she's, you know, she's been there, um, you know, on the, the on the fringes a little. Yeah. But I will tell you, everyone in Newport loves her. And really, it was based on her own merit and her own skill at meeting people. She was very good at conversation and charm. And she wasn't nearly as flirtati as, you know, old girl Chamberlain was. <laughs> she, but one key letter of introduction kind of tipped all these things. She went to this party, this party, this party, this party, and got her to the right party. And the prince saw her in her fabulous Worth gown. He has a weakness. I, I, think. I think so. You dress him up in a Worth gown and yeah. Wales is all over him. And the prince selected her to open a ball with, and her career was made right then. But she fell in love. She fell in love with this man named George George Curzon, who's an eldest son of a baron. He seemed like Indiana Jones. I know. I was going to say, you know, this is not a bad thing because he was very charismatic and he did have this lifestyle that was very serious almost. Well, he was super intelligent. I guess he had poor health as a child. So unlike almost everyone else in the aristocracy, he actually studied at school. (laughs) So that was good. Um, He was ambitious. He was an explorer. Mm -hmm. He was a daredevil. He went places in the interior of Asia that no one had, no white man had seen, etc. It sounds very Indiana Jones to me. Dashing. Yes. So he saw her first during that very dance with the prince and thought, well, that's the least attractive species of human possible, an American. Okay, that's not good. 
She loved her some George Curzon, and she was so obsessed that she, the necklace she was wearing that day, this sounds so stalkery, I'm telling you what, I would run far away too, George Curzon. She had a pearl from her necklace made into a tie pin and sent to him. Hello, they've never even talked. That's bold. That is super bold, and of course, you know, what does he do? He kind of strings her along for three years. I mean, they she would write, 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 write. And sometimes he would pass through where she was and didn't even bother to see her. So he wanted to be the expert of all of Asia. He wanted to be famous for that. He wanted to be indispensable to the king. And so he's like, oh, I need some... I need some cash. I need some cash. Hmm. Where so he asked, you get some cash yeah. out this time? Well, so he asked her to marry him, and then immediately, like, did he change his mind? Did he go, oh, crap, what did I just do? And he immediately told her to keep it secret. It's just buyer's remorse. He does not sound like a good guy right now, honestly. No. And even worse, it took two more years for him. Oh, this whole time. So she's keeping a secret. She's denying all these suits. All these her other parents people are probably that, like, yeah, what why is are going we on? not getting married? Why it's are we taking here? so long? So he must have been some kind of charming man, or there's the pheromone thing. I just don't know. He, he must have smelled good or something. I don't know. But so he obviously married her for her money. But she did truly love him for yes. some reason. So I don't know that she was the loser. But then he spent the next 10 years being a workaholic. Mary Leiter was so sad at her marital fate. Her parents were so worried about her. They tag team visited her for a long time. And she used to write these <laughs> sad letters about... Um, she would hug the chairs her mother had sat in and cry because she missed her parents so much. Aww. I, 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 man, I'm kind of not liking George Curzon. I'm telling you what. But finally, at last, he was named the Viceroy of India. So that's his ambition fulfilled. <laughs> and he slowly, where have you been, George Curzon, started to wake up to the fact that he had a valuable, intelligent, caring, kind person. And he fell in love with her after this long of time. That's a great story. Finally, he loved her back. Her self-confidence returned <laughs> yeah. immediately. She was totally cherished, totally loved. Yeah, I can't help being angry at him for taking her devotion for granted for so long. No, but, but it makes a better story arc. So she was the vice-reign, which means she was the second most high woman in the country only after the queen. So that's the highest position an American has had mm-hmm. or will ever have. Mm-hmm. As far as I know, because there's no more vice reigns. Right. I will tell you, she died early. She died very early. And the tomb, I'll have to put a picture of her tomb, is so touching. It is elaborate and beautiful. And her her epitaph on there is, she was adored in three continents, and by her dearest will be forever unforgotten. That's a great story. Yeah, so... You just love these Gilded Age heiresses. I just, I just love, love your it. enthusiasm for this, and... It's just the stories. It seems like it just seems like a mere exchange of money for title, but there's yeah, so many different permutations. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's the second wave, and let's take a little break, and we will talk about the third wave. We're back. So, the Buccaneers' husbands have blown through their money already. What the heck? It's expensive upkeeping those castles. I guess. And their American wives are starting to see this really lucrative position as uh, introducers. Mm -hmm. So, good. 
good for that. But the money's getting bigger. Honestly, the money's getting bigger. The industrialist wealth has completely overshadowed old New York's wealth. For example, Consuelo is Nega's dowry. I would consider this respectable. $33 million in today's uh, yeah. money. But Mary Leiter's was $247 million. Isn't that something? That is amazing. The numbers <laughs> boggle your mind. They boggle your mind. So did that get the attention of British noblemen? Yes, it did. And they began coming to America to wife hunt. <laughs> what a turn of events that yeah, is. Yeah, the women don't have to go to England any longer. They can stay home and have the parade in front of them. Well, now, so where did they often go? To Newport, Rhode Island. I lived right by Newport. I, I love Newport. Yeah. <laughs> I still have it's hydrangeas beautiful. outside just because of that. So it was a national hub of wealth, honestly. That was kind of the resort where everyone came from all over the place. There were Southerners. There were people from Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. from everywhere. So heiresses of all kinds could be found there for your viewing pleasure, That's British man. <laughs> It's like a heiress store. It is. Heiresses are us. <laughs> so the daughters, though, at this point of the denizens of Newport were all well-educated, well-trained, they were very confident. They'd been brought up to be comfortable with this level of ostentation. We'll have to show you pictures of the level of ostentation. They were completely comfortable with immense fortunes, not awed too much by these men, these dukes or whatever. I have to say, Alva Vanderbilt, right about now, said, I know of no profession of any trade that women are working on today as taxing on mental resources than being a leader of society. <laughs> Wow. Factory workers might disagree. Yeah, just a little bit. And her own servants, perhaps? Yeah, they might have. uh, Yeah, I don't think I would like to have worked for Alva. Yeah. So, yeah, that gives you a little viewpoint into her personality and the most famous heiress of all. Consuelo Vanderbilt. Her wedding was so similar to that recent one of William and Kate. It's 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 astonishing to me that she wasn't well. She was royalty. She was American royalty, really. Mm-hmm. So Alva has one daughter. That's it. To put all of her knowledge and wisdom, and really, quite frankly, to control into the type of woman that Alva thinks she should be. Consuelo's opinion and personality be damned, <laughs> because Alva Mama knows best. So she, again, was really besties with Consuelo One, and Consuelo One had the title, and Alva thought that was pretty special. So Alva, Mama, has her one daughter that she raises and decides that, that Consuelo is going to get a title, and that's it. So as a teenager, Consuelo's getting ready to, she's on the market, and Alva thinks that a title is really all that, that will do for her daughter. You know, though, she drilled and schooled this girl to be basically a duchess since birth. Mm -hmm. She used to have to wear this iron brace all day to keep her head. I mean, like, sit up as straight as you can and look straight ahead like there's a big old iron rod behind. Now try to write a letter. Or go to the bathroom. Yeah. Um, Yeah, she she was not a gentle mama. No, she was heavily educated, Consuelo, too. I will mm-hmm. say she took and passed oh. the Oxford and Cambridge exams at 17. That's amazing. Yes. But no way was she going to be allowed to go to college. No, no, no. But she had it. Mm-hmm. If, if you have the education, how, how you use it is up to you. So I think Consuelo knew what was happening to her because she said of her mother, it was her wish to produce me as a finished specimen framed in a perfect setting. And she was beautiful. She was 
people would stop to stare at her. But I think her and spirit she, was all crushed. I do. She was not her mother's daughter at all. She, her personality was different. Venezuela was very, very kind. I want to say timid, actually. But, you know, you have a domineering mother like that controlling you your whole life you really don't get to the place where you can make decisions very well on your own because you think all your decisions are wrong. So there's many suitors that would like to have the hand of our Consuelo, but of course Mama doesn't allow any of them. And at one point, Consuelo actually has a relationship with and becomes engaged secretly to one Winthrop Rutherford, and Mama then not want part of this. You know, it's funny. He's an old New York Stuyvesant, which is hilarious, because, you know, if Consuelo had been born even 15 years ago, mm-hmm. this would have been like, ha, hallelujah. I, exactly. It would have been her aunt, Alva's entree, but at this point. But now there's bigger fish yep. to fry. Yep. <laughs> Alva's thinking globally. <laughs> <laughs> so she is um, gets in touch with, and the, like you talked about, these women that have got their titles and the, the coffers are running a little low. There's a little, there's some financial gain for them with Minnie Stevens, who is now Lady Paget. And she is putting her polite hand to the side and taking funds to make introductions. And that is exactly what happens. And Lady Paget introduces our girl Consuelo to Charles Spencer Churchill, the ninth Duke of Marlborough. And it's funny because at her dinner party, she sat the Duke of Marlborough on one side of her mm-hmm. and Consuelo on the other side of her at the head of the table. And that was as not subtle as no. it could possibly it, be. No, not at all. It was not a quiet demure. It's like, let me present your title and yeah. here's your money. That's right. Right here. Would you like some butter? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And after the dinner party, even though they had only met once, the rumors began to circulate that they were indeed engaged. And, hmm, I wonder who would be feeding information like that to the press. Who, who, who? Yeah, Mom. Isn't that funny? <laughs> but the Duke did invite the Vanderbilt ladies to Blenheim Palace. Yes. A little trivial fact about Blenheim Palace. Yeah, what? It was so large that it took a man all year to wash the outside of the windows. <laughs> he started at the front and went all the way around, and a year had passed, and he went around again. The January windows. And the so that's windows. how big. So when Alva got there, she felt smug that her house, Marble House, so mm-hmm. she meant, was made of finer things than Blenheim Palace, which is hilarious to me. Because Blenheim had faux-painted mm-hmm. marble. Well, Alva had the rarest marble in the world. Of course. Alva was quite the house designer. So Consuelo did fit in well, at the very least. If yeah. not more so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. More, yeah. Consuelo was more than fit for this man's house. Oh, absolutely. Sure. Okay, so they're back in Newport after the grand visit, and Consuelo at a ball sneaked a dance with her love, William Rutherford, and it became a freaking catfight. It was a big one. It was a mother-daughter brawl to end all brawls. There was screaming and threats and weeping and lies. Like, he can't have children. He's sleeping with mm-hmm. a married woman I know. Mm-hmm. He just wants your money. Alva was pulling out all of her controlling tricks, every single one of them at this. Because at this point, Consuelo, this was like her last ditch. She said, I'm not marrying the Duke. And Alva's like, yeah, you are. And this is why. And there's utter silent treatment Mm -hmm. for a really long time. Yeah. Alva goes to her room and won't overcome. She gives a silent treatment to Consuelo. And her friends are coming to talk to Consuelo and say, oh, your mother is... Pulls out the granddaddy of all tricks. It's your mother's health. She will have a heart attack if this happens. Do you want to kill your mother? Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's like, and I've Whoa. often wondered how people made their daughters marry people. Mm-hmm. And now I get, okay, now I get a little bit of a, 
Hmm. Picture. Mm -hmm. And that's... Abuse, evidently. Yeah, that's what it is. Not good. So the Duke kept to himself all summer, and everyone was expecting the announcement any day. Mm -hmm. I mean, they had a ball and everything. Part of the motivation behind Alva's trying to hurry up this whole ceremony is that she's getting divorced, (laughs) which is not allowed in society. And she would like to deflect some of the negative criticism that she's getting because of that and say, well, it doesn't matter because my daughter is marrying a duke. Let's talk about that instead of me divorcing. Yeah. (laughs) And so he finally, in September of that year, he proposed in the Gothic room, which is really dark and heavy. And Consuelo wrote in her memoir, The Glitter and the Gold, which you should pick up. Yeah. She wrote that that room is propitious for sacrifice. <laughs> yeah. It was very uneventful. He proposed and she ran upstairs and mom had already had the message leaked out to the paper. It's not even up for discussion at this point, Mm-mm. Consuelo. It's done deal. And the papers went crazy with this obviously arranged marriage. You know, before there's always been this element of... If not love, at least, you know, the girl wanted this and mm-hmm. was trying for this. And yes. and sometimes there was love, too, and that was acceptable. It's the American way. Go for the gold, right. girl. But this right. one was so not according to the taste of America at the time. No. I mean, Alva was painted as a, this dragon or this witch, and Consuelo was like Little Red Riding Hood and Duke was the wolf. <laughs> I mean, cartoons abounded. Well, the Duke had, I mean, he was doing this as a sacrifice for his family. He was, it was honor, you know, to save the family. Yeah. Well, this one cartoon that we'll post by Charles Dana Gibson, the inventor of the Gibson Girl, um, it shows kind of how... We should do Gibson Girls. We should do Gibson Girls. It shows, okay, it shows this teeny tiny little greasy man and a beautiful bride kneeling on at the altar, but they're kneeling on Cupid's coffin, Mm -hmm. and the bride's (laughs) hands are chained behind her and held by her mother. So if that's... And it was clearly Consuelo and the Duke, That's honestly. Right. But it was a big deal. Even though Consuelo was being dragged to the altar, mm-hmm. that wedding was a ginormous deal. Every detail of that wedding was leaked to the newspapers. What kind of gold was on her garters? Her lingerie was yes. drawn for the newspaper. Isn't that lovely? Yeah. Just what you want. This is what I'm talking about. It coming back to Tr- William yeah. and Kate. It Very much so. The wedding is held in 1895 at um, St. Thomas Episcopal Church in New York City, and it is ginormous, and the streets are lined with people wanting to catch a glimpse of the bride. Streets are blocked off for yeah. traffic, yeah. And then, and yeah, people, lining the mm-hmm. streets. The the invited guests are have to go through throngs of people to get in. All the police departments are all at the wedding for crowd control. And her dad, who was on the outs with her mom at the time, was told to show up bring Consuelo to the church, walk her down the aisle, and get out. That was it, yeah. That was his role. But he obeyed, man. He obeyed. Well, he probably didn't want to be part of this whole, I mean, leading his daughter to the lions. To slaughter. Yeah, really. Well, I feel really bad for Consuelo. She was left alone all morning with just her maid to dress her. She was all alone in the morning. Alva had to be seen. (sighs) Ah. Jeez. So all the people are gathered. And they're waiting. They're waiting. And Alva arrives. And they're waiting. And she's standing there prim and proper, and they're waiting. And they're waiting. And and now Alva's getting a little nervous. So 20 minutes seems like forever, doesn't it? Yeah. Something needed to start, and it's 20 minutes later. And this will even make you sadder. You know why Consuelo was late? Don't tell 
Because she'd been crying all night, mm-hmm. and her eyes were puffy. And she was trying to sponge her eyes. Mm-hmm. And she talks She talks about how she was glad she had the veil on, because there were just dark circles under her eyes. But, you know, still, everyone, she was married with cry face, and everyone mm-hmm. could see it. Yeah. It, it, was not a, it was not a joyous. Although, the people that lined the streets wanting to catch a glimpse of the bride, they were pretty excited about it. Like and that. no one from his side even bothered to come. No. Honestly, it couldn't more clearly be a business arrangement, really. Ugh. Okay. Can't good. cross the ocean for these people. Yeah. So they are wed, and it's uh, it's kind of interesting to me that his nickname and the name he goes by is Sunny. It was short for the subsidiary title that he once Mm -hmm. held, um, Sunderland. When you're growing up and your dad's the Duke, you can't be called the Duke of anything, Mm -hmm. and so you're kind of called by a subsidiary title, and his little nickname was Sunny. Sunny? That sounds so happy. But I don't (laughs) believe that it was a very happy marriage by any stretch of the imagination. Mm -mm. She had her children. She had her heir and her spare. Then she invented that term. We've Mm -hmm. bandied that about a lot, but that's actually attributed to Consuelo Vanderbilt. So let's give it up for her on that one. Hooray, Because that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, it is a good one. Useful. The marriage was just very gloomy and not happy. It wasn't joyful. I, I think as a mom, I, I mean, for the time, I think she was probably a pretty good mom. Oh, yeah. I think she, yeah. I, she I, loved her children and did. always wanted them around and everything. And there's a, I do love the portrait. There's a portrait. And again, we'll put this on our website. And if you haven't been to our website, please go. Because there's a lot, a lot there that really fills out our discussions. But there's a portrait of... Consuelo and her youngest child, and she just looks so blissful. It's like they're playing around, but they sat for a portrait. It's not a photograph. So, and I think the little joy comes through. The por- the painter mm-hmm. got some happiness there. Yeah, mm-hmm. and also it's interesting. There's another picture. You know, Sonny was a lot shorter than his wife, mm-hmm. and so the painter used some trickery and placed Consuelo on some steps, as if, look, the steps are what's making her so much taller. Right. And then she has her oldest son right in the center, holding his father's sword. So he's the important one. Yeah. And then the little spare is off to the side. But the thing about the little spare is he's so happy in that picture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's yeah. like, hello. Hi. I yeah. love the picture. I and know. he looks so happy. I think that if he hadn't been a cheerful child, those portraits would not have portrayed him that way. No, I So I I'm agree. thinking that at least her and her children's life was very I think so. Lovely. They stayed together for about 11 years. Divorce was really not allowed unless you could cite adultery or abuse, which um, he, he didn't abuse her. Did he step out on her? Probably. It was yeah, the fashion, probably, you know. But when you do that, you bring scandal to your whole family. And did she want to do that to her kid? So they actually separated for quite a while. They were living separate lives and from 1906 until 1921. We could talk about Consuelo's life for for a whole episode, but um, let's just suffice it to say that um, once World War One rolled in in England, things kind of changed for her, and after the war, laws were changed, and, and the stigma of divorce was no longer as prevalent as it was, and they finally got divorced. So, yay. <laughs> and he actually went off and he, he remarried first. Another American. Another American. They were in correspondence for years, and it, it was not a very successful marriage. And he actually left her alone in the castle to live out her days without any money, and she just became a crazy lady. Aren't these <laughs> wonderful husbands? Don't we all want one? I know, but he married first, and then Consuelo finally got to marry for love, and she married Jacques Balsan. He was a nifty guy. Yeah. He was a... He was buddies with the Wright brothers, and he, I mean, his family had money, so he was from a station in life that was acceptable, 
but he was just a really neat guy, and they just they married. She married Philip, and and I feel very happy about that. Yeah, I do too. And actually, they lived in France, and she hung out with Edith Wharton, Henry James, and two degrees of separation back to Helen Keller, Charlie Chaplin. Love that. I know, and it was a very. It wasn't as um, formal of a life as she had in England. But she made it her own, and her and her mom had actually had a split, but they reconciled it at this point her, once she was divorced, and the marriage was actually annulled. And Alva testified that she had forced her daughter. That was actually the way that they got out of it. She told the court and the public that she had forced her daughter to marry against mm-hmm. her will, and that's what got the marriage annulled, and the children remained legitimate, which was key for the succession of the dukedom. Right. But curiously enough, when Consuelo died, where mm-hmm. did she want to be buried? England. Yeah. Yeah. So she's buried uh, at the Marlboro family plot. Next to her son. So. But she died in 1964. So we so just missed her. 87. I didn't miss her. You didn't miss her. I missed her. <laughs> <laughs> Sadly, no, I did not miss her. But that's a long life. You know, the world that she was born into Compared to the world of 1964? She may have been the most famous one. I mean, obviously the name Vanderbilt was very fashionable oh, sure. for other reasons. But um, she may be the most famous because of that book she wrote, The Glitter and the Gold, mm-hmm. which um, talks about her life. So basically, once the women, any of these women, had their prize, how was their life after the marriage exactly? Yeah. Well, basically, let's boil it down to one word, shock. Because it was the custom, if you were a new bride, to go to your husband's country estate. Mm-hmm. And so these girls were brought up the best of everything. I mean, and so here they go. There's decrepit houses. They're not updated. Often had no indoor plumbing. Mm-hmm. The heating was abysmal. <laughs> and the, they are used to newer homes or modernized homes in America. The best of everything. Mm-hmm. Holy upholstery. Mm-hmm. Dogs walking around inside the house everywhere. It was very obvious to these heiresses why they were there in the first place, I think. So that was probably a little demoralizing. And then also, in America, especially Newport, by the way, women were the bosses of the house. Mm-hmm. Husbands and fathers may not be absent. I mean, obviously they were contributing to their family. they were absent, but they yeah. were indulgent. Mm-hmm. But in England, a man basically got no advantage by getting married except to have heirs. So, you know, he was the boss of every living thing. On this estate. The master. He was the master. And uh, also the informality of the American home was just dwarfed by the formality. Even the servants in England had had a hierarchy. Mm -hmm. If the American heiress wanted some tea, you didn't ask the butler for some tea. You asked him to tell someone to ask someone to make some tea. (laughs) And then an alternate person would bring it, and then an alternate person would hand it to you. It's really messed up. And it probably took a little bit of time. And probably by the time you got it, it was cold. So you go, I want a tea? <laughs> yeah. It's lunchtime. <laughs> and also, the English men were not workaholics the way Daddy had been. Oh, no. American men were either workaholics with work or workaholics with their hobbies. And um, the Englishmen had nothing official to do, and they had opinions about things. <laughs> like, they had opinions about wine. They had opinions about food. They had opinions about the dresses their wives wore what <laughs> this was baffling that men would be interested in such things right. and then also they were expected to run a household wow i am <laughs> this is the one thing they were not trained to do Mm-mm. yeah no. so not good so the servant problem was very big because and servants can recognize like a substitute teacher does mm-hmm. not know what the heck's going on yeah they were they were kind of mocked by the servants of their house and they mm-hmm. really did 
and it was a challenge. But there was an upside to this, too, because in America, once you were married, you're kind of on the shelf. You're chaperone material, my friends. Mm-hmm. Your, your big highlight was that debutante ball in your wedding, and then it was all a flat line. <laughs> but in England... Well, yeah, until you popped out your firstborn son. Or, yes. Yeah, you could have children. Children are exciting. But in England, unmarried girls were, like, clamped down on. And so once you got married, you had this sphere of influence. You could be involved in your husband's politics, in his business. Mm-hmm. You could travel the world. Jenny Churchill was very involved in, in her husband's political career, as well as her son's right. later in life. But, yeah. And honestly, the custom of their new country was once... You had supplied your husband with some boy babies upstairs on the fourth floor with Nanny. You were kind of legitimately free as long as you were discreet to pursue true love. And it was perfectly on the side. Acceptable. Yeah, I, I am astonished at the amount of bed hopping that goes on. Like the Prince of Wales, he was getting a whole lot of action. From Americans, too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He loved his American women, and they apparently loved him back. And you know what? By the time Edward was crowned king in 1902, the 200 or so American wives of noblemen were renowned for their good works mm. and their fundraising. Mm-hmm. They were, I mean, you know, they were they were raised by ambitious women and workaholic men, and so they they did lots of stuff. Yeah, idle lives were not part of their breeding. Yeah. No, and they they were. It was a great contribution to society. It was a very mutual admiration society. At that point, mm-hmm. I mean, they had done such good for the country. So they didn't only just bring the money over. They did bring a lot of good work, too. That was a benefit that they were able to, because in America, it really wasn't the done thing. It was no. kind of money grubbing and not done. But the wife of the Lord was expected to care for the poor in her husband's charge. And, you know, mm-hmm. the Duke of Marlborough made fun of Consuelo for reading to poor children and setting up schools and everything. But he really did. He was proud of that, too. His wife accounted herself well in that regard. So the last marriages, and one that we want to talk about is Nancy Astor. Astor? Astor? Where did we hear about the Astors before? So Nancy Langhorn um, was actually a divorcee, interestingly, but she met the son of Waldorf Astor. Remember him? He was so mad at his aunt, the Mrs. Astor, that he cruised across the pond and became a British nobleman. in England. Yeah. So um, Mr. Viscount Astor had a son, and Nancy Astor married him. Mm-hmm. And she became the very first woman member of Parliament. How about them apples? Yeah, upon the death of his father, um, the new, her husband, Viscount Astor, went into the House of Lords, and his seat was open, and she ran for it, and she won. That's pretty awesome. And so in the paper, I guess I'll just close with this, the very common sentiment of British people at the time was, we were a weaker, more backward, and poorer people before the 70s and 80s brought us the finest of our well-known Anglo-American alliances. The new angles of vision with which they perceived the old world enabled them to leave an imprint on the customs of a society which hitherto had grown up sheltered in its insular traditions. It's a pretty good accolade, I that think. That is a very good accolade from a country that wasn't sure what was happening to them. Yeah. <laughs> now let's talk about media. Let's start with the movies. Okay, well, uh, I will say there's a recommendation from listener Kathy Ann. Um, there's two, Buccaneers. Once again, we mentioned Edith mm-hmm. Wharton. Mm-hmm. Oh, I forgot to mention the Edith Wharton connection. Mrs. Stevens, Minnie Stevens' mom, mm-hmm. forbade Edith Wharton from marrying into her family. Mm-hmm. And Edith Wharton paid her back by writing her unfavorably into a book. <laughs> okay. 
That is the privilege of the author. <laughs> End of story. Okay. So anyway, the Buccaneers, there are two. They're both in 1995. The TV series, American, starring, starring Carla Gugino mm-hmm. and Mira Sorvino. Oh, who? Yeah, among others, is a miniseries available on DVD. And mm-hmm. then there's a Masterpiece Theater PBS version, also a miniseries, um, which received much higher ratings. So yeah. choose your poison. I don't know. Yeah. Or both. Have, yeah. a, have an evening. Have a compare and contrast. If you would like to read The Buccaneers, I highly recommend it. Edith yeah. Wharton wrote that book, and it's it was um, an unfinished book. Um, someone had to finish it for her. There are many places that you can go to decode who is who, because they were all based on real characters. Right. That Edith Wharton knew in this period of dollar princesses. That's, that's pretty awesome. And the aforementioned, as to books, I guess, The Glitter and the Gold. Right. By Consuelo Vanderbilt Consuelo. and mm-hmm. Ghost Rider. Mm-hmm. And there's uh, Consuelo and Alva Vanderbilt, The Story of a Daughter and a Mother in the Gilded Age by Amanda Stewart. This is a really good book. It will color in a lot of the things that we talked about today, but it also kind of reads like um, a romance novel in some regards because of all the all the story arcs that are in it. And it's it's pretty fascinating to to read all about that. And there's pictures. Both of us would highly recommend that. And now, finally, here's a little story behind this. When Beckett first came to me and said, Susan, would you like to be a history chick? She brought me this book, and it's To Marry an English Lord by the author that Beckett was talking about earlier, Gail McCall and Carol McDee Wallace. This is a fantastic book. You should, if anything, you should go out and either borrow it from your library or buy your own copy, because if your copy ends up like Beckett's copy, a, which, a picture of which I will post on our website, <laughs> it is marked up and dog-eared, and this book is so beloved by Beckett. She trusted me with it for a couple of months. I was nervous. She said, I had to ban myself. <laughs> Go like, on. It's like your baby. She's like, Do you still have my book? Do you still have my book? And yes, yes, I have your book. And, and it returns to you in its original condition. Yeah. <laughs> but, Beck, if you heard some enthusiasm um, on this particular podcast about the women, it's because Beckett really, really loves this era. And this is really. This is near and dear to her heart, and I'm so glad that we got to finally sit down and talk about it. Yeah, I just love this. And seriously, if you have any money anywhere, this is the very first thing you should spend it on. Yeah. This is how much I love this book. People. It's paperback. It's not going to cost you that much. And it's it's an easy it's an easy read. It's very, oh, it's so clever. It, it's easy to read, well-written, lots of pictures. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is really a terrific book. So it, again, is To Marry an English Lord or How Anglomania Really Got Started especially in America. Um, so get, check that out. And we, of course, we'll give you uh, a picture of Beckett's book on our website. <laughs> yeah, it's a little embarrassing, but it is really decrepit. It's not embarrassing. You love it. I do love it. It's like those teddy bears that the fur rubs off the uh-huh. nose. <laughs> it's a well-loved book. It might have become real. Oh, like in the no, rabbit <laughs> reference. Excellent. Ten points. Well, and I will leave you with another trivial fact. Okay. Since our since our British quote finished off with the British thought nicely. Okay. Here's a trivial fact. Princess Diana, mm-hmm. our beloved Princess Diana, her great-grandmother was an American Yay! named Frances Work. So if not for America, British people would not have Winston Churchill and they would not have Princess Diana. How about that? Thanks for listening. Bye. For show notes and links to the things we talked about today, please visit us at thehistorychicks.com. Follow us on Twitter at The History Chicks with with an X. X. Or like us on Facebook without an X. If you'd like us in real life, please tell a few friends or leave a review for us on iTunes.
The music in our podcast comes courtesy of Music Alley. Visit them at music.mevio.com. <laughs>